The following program does not offer personal medical advice. Please consult your doctor before using any treatment or product we cover. Welcome to Go to Health Radio with your host, Jonathan Marks. We provide a welcoming environment where experts educate you on important health topics, answer your questions, and provide information from which you can benefit in consultation with your doctor. And now, here is Jonathan Marks. Hello, everyone. This is Jonathan Marks, and welcome back to another session of Go to Health. We're so happy to have you with us today. And today we're talking about a big topic. It's called the big C sometimes. We're going to be talking about cancer. And almost 2 million people will get diagnosed with cancer this year and every year. And that means that there are 2 million families and friend networks that really get affected with this diagnosis. Care can go wrong in so many ways uh, that you really have to make sure you're getting good care. And part of that care is how you take care of yourself and how you take care of your family and relationships. So my guest today, Dr. Kerry Forrestal, has written a book called Crushing Cancer, A Patient's Complete Guide to Managing a Cancer Diagnosis. And what he provides in the book is not about how your cancer is treated because your doctor will work with you on that. But what Dr. Forrestal does is go through a game plan for how to manage your treatment, how to manage your finances so you don't get broke, how to spot cancer scams, because he says there are a lot of them that we'll talk more about, how to manage your workplace and what legal protections you have. So stay with us because this is going to be a very interesting discussion. If you know somebody who has cancer or there's been cancer in the family, I think this will be very helpful. So let me first tell you about uh, Dr. Forrestal. He's been an emergency medicine physician for 21 years, but he's had other lives. For 17 years before that, he was a medic in emergency medical services. He's a member of a whale and seal stranding team. That's interesting. And he also holds a master's of business administration. He's been a professor at several colleges in both science and business. And he's been an officer in the New York Air National Guard 106th Air Rescue Wing. He's also the founder of Career Culture Competence Initiative at the Stony Brook School of Medicine. He's a researcher in domestic violence. He's an ocean lifeguard on one of Long Island's busiest beaches and he's taken several medical missions to Haiti. Dr. Forrestal has had cancer in his family, so he can speak from personal experience and also professional experience because the emergency room is one place where cancer gets frequently diagnosed. So Dr. Forrestal, welcome to the program. How are you today? I'm excellent, Jonathan. Thank you so much for having me. Tell us about the book that you wrote it's called Crushing Cancer, A Patient's Guide to Managing a Cancer Diagnosis, and people can buy it on Amazon. Uh, this is Dr. Terry Forrestal. It's like F-O-R-R-E-S-T-A-L. But if you go to Crushing Cancer on Amazon, you will find that book. But Terry, what, what led you to write this book for us? So yeah, a lot of people find it a little strange that an emergency room physician, an ER doctor, uh, wrote a book on how to manage cancer care. And there's really three main reasons that, that this happened. Um, first, uh, we diagnose, we find a lot of suspicion of cancer in the emergency department. So people come in, they've got a sore shoulder, we x-ray it in, in the upper lung field. 
you know, you see something, uh, well, we got to do something about that. We mm -hmm. find a lot of incidental cancer. Mm -hmm. um, and it's always been very frustrating to me to say, yeah, you've got this big problem. Uh, good luck with that. You know, mm -hmm. I've always wanted to do more. Uh, ER has always been my first calling oncology. You know, I, I was interested in pediatric oncology when I worked up at DuPont, but ER, it was, you know, for, for how I think and how I work is, was for me. So there was that element of it. And then the other is that in the emergency department, where do you go when things go wrong? You know, it's one of the first places you go is to the emergency department. You know, you call any doctor's office. They say, if this is an emergency, go, you know, if you're worried, go to the ER, right. or call 911. So I've seen a lot of the ways that cancer care can go wrong over the years and things that were avoidable, you know, things that if people had better information or they had access um, to something that could tell them what to do, they could have avoided a really unfortunate development. You know, cancer patients can't afford to lose ground, you know, so giving stuff away that could have been avoided is definitely, that, that's terrible. And when um, you say something goes wrong, Carrie, do you mean on the part of the medical care or do you mean on what patients could do better for themselves? Both. both. You know, you see, yeah, there, there are a lot of times when people, you know, not, not everybody can do cancer care the way it's prescribed. You know, people, I can easily write a prescription for whatever medication you like, but if the patient can't afford it, can't get to it, they can't mm -hmm. get it delivered from, you know then they start trying to adapt. And those things can wind up with some pretty terrible outcomes. So yeah, it's, it's a combination of all of the above, but a lot of it is avoidable. You know, if people are properly, you know, have the proper resources. Mm -hmm. And then the final, like we were discussing before is that it, it's affected my family pretty tremendously over the years. Right. So, um, well, I think we'll go into that more later. Yes. Great. Good. So, so tell us some chapters of the book. What do you cover in the book that would be helpful for people? So um, one of the big things, one of the chapters um, that I hadn't anticipated writing, but came about because of the number of cancer patients that I talked to uh, was the why I wait. So the pathology process, like people, you know, you go in, you get the biopsy, right? You have this suspicion that you have a problem, be it breast or, or uh, prostate or whatever, and you get the biopsy. And then you want the answer right then and there. I want to know, and I'm an ER guy. I'm with them. I'm like, I want to know right now what's going on. Mm -hmm. But sometimes the pathology process can take weeks. You know, it can take up to three weeks, sometimes more. Mm -hmm. um, and people are like, well, why am I waiting? How can I reduce this time? You know, and it's a simple strategy uh, that can reduce a little bit of the time, you know, is that when you get the biopsy, make the next appointment to get the result. Right. So that that helps reduce that time. It's not like, OK, we've got the we've got the biopsy result. You know, they call you and they say we have to schedule an appointment. Now you have to wait that much more. So that's right. a way to shave some of the time off. And there's a new development now with um, medical records where you can access your medical records, you know, as soon as they're available. And unfortunately, it's had the unintended effect that people are getting their cancer diagnosis by looking on their medical portal and they have no way of contextualizing. It's like, yes, you are positive for. Uh, we had this discussion last night in the emergency department. Yes, you're positive for breast cancer. Right. You know, and she was horrified. She had no way. So that's one of the chapters uh, that is, it was absolutely driven by the cancer patients. Mm -hmm. um, one of the big ones is the finance chapter. Um, fully 3% of all patients who are diagnosed with cancer will become bankrupt. Mm. Now, 3% doesn't sound like a huge number until you apply it to, as you said, 2 million people right. a year. Right. You know, in perpetuity. So that that's a tremendous amount of, of people going bankrupt from this. 
there's also what they call financial toxicity. A lot of people are going to come out of this, you know, trying to get their finances right for the next decade. Mm-hmm. You know, so um, burdens of, of, you know, tens of thousands of dollars are not unheard of. And there's, there's actually literature that shows that people who are not in a, a good financial position have worse outcomes of cancer care. Mm. So mm-hmm. literally your, you know, your finances affect your outcome as much as your chemotherapy in some cases. Right. It might be an overstatement, but still there is an effect. Yeah. So, you know, and people don't know the workplace protections that they have. They don't know how to use FMLA. Uh, and we, we go into all of those things. Right. And FMLA is what? Family Medical Leave Act. So ah, that's basically okay. uh, protected time that you can get off to take care of um, medical problems uh, for yourself or for your loved ones. And there mm-hmm. are ways to use that and manipulate that, that you can, you can string it together to get longer periods of time because it renews at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. So you can, you know, you can work with that to make sure you have the time off that you need to heal. Right. So let me go back to some basics here. Can you describe for us what is cancer? And how does it get classified and differentiated? Because I know there are lots of different types of cancer, but let's go back to basics. What's cancer? How does it get classified? Okay, so cancer, this, when people ask that, the simplest thing I ask them to do is take your hands, put them together, right? Just like that, all right? Go ahead and do that. Okay, I got my palms facing each other, fingers up. Yep. Right. Now look at your fingertips. Why are they both the same size to side to side, right? They match up. They do. Index finger to index finger, right? They, they match up. They're the same size, right. right? Now, there may be some small differentials, but there is an off switch for growth in your body, right? It grows to a certain size and then it stops. It says that's as far as you go. That, that's, that's the length that it has to be. And it mm-hmm. keeps it there for a lifetime. Mm-hmm. Now, wear and tear, you know, maybe it shortens people. Uh, and certainly we can pack on the pounds eating too much, but we won't get taller from eating. We may get wider, but we're not going to get taller. Okay. Right. So the cells have in them an off switch. It says, okay, we're done. This is as far as you go. When that off switch gets broken, then you have uncontrolled growth. So cancer Mm. is actually a series of diseases whose common denominator is uncontrolled growth. There are a lot of different causes. There are chemical causes. There are viral causes, um, you know, environmental exposures. There are a lot of different things that can cause cancer, but uncontrolled growth is, is that common denominator. Got it. Okay, good. And there's a classification system. I think it's called TMN. What does that stand for? And what does it mean? So this is um, in trying to figure out how to classify uh, tumors. Um, and, you know, you know, you've heard, I have stage one cancer, stage four cancer, which is the one that's, that's at the top of the thing. Nobody wants, right. So they look at the tumor size, they look at if any of the lymph nodes in the area are affected or if there are any lymph nodes distantly, that's the N. M is metastasis. How far has it gone? You know, stage one, it's right there. It's just one nodule. You know, it's just, we know where it lives and we know mm-hmm. how to get it. Stage mm-hmm. two is a bit more spread. Stage three is more. Stage four is like above and below the diaphragm. Um, and that's a, that's a main classification. Um, there are others like for brain tumors, there's a whole different classification Mm. and most of it, you know, we all talk about staging of cancers and what the prognosis is, what, how much, what's the survival rate. That's a very typical thing, but all of these were never meant for patient prognostication. People don't come 
with a expiration date. If you have stage four, you know, adenocarcinoma of the pancreas, all right, that's not a great outcome, but you can't, you can't look at that number and try to judge what your survival rate is because that's everybody who has it. That's right, the 95 right. year old guy who's not going to do anything about it. That's the guy who won't comply with care. That's the guy who's got 5,000 other problems. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, it's a very human thing to do to look at the survival rates based on that TMNN. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's really not meant for that. Mm-hmm. You know, your cancer is unique to you. Mm-hmm. you know, and your outcome will be unique to you. So, you know, it's always the first thing I've had to talk a few people through that. I looked it up and I have stage whatever cancer. And this is this, this is like, you gotta, you gotta come down from that. You know, you are an individual, your cancer is individual, you know, is an individual situation. So don't get wrapped up in the classifications of it. Leave that for the scientists and the doctors. Okay, good. So, and it really is your individual journey with cancer. Oh, yeah. And even if you've had cancer in the family, I mean, um, you might be genetically predisposed, but it doesn't mean that your cancer is going to express itself during your lifetime. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah, there's um, what they call, I don't want to get too far in the weeds with the, the fancy talk, but because uh, yeah. you've read the book at this point, you know, it's, 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 I speak plainly so that people can access what we're saying. Right. But the name of it is called the stress diathesis model. In other words, you have a predisposition to have something happen, but then you have to have the insult. You have to have something happen that sets it off. So it's like a pile of leaves is a pile of leaves until a match comes along, then it's a fire. Right. You know, and a lot of things have to happen for that. You know, it can't be raining, you know, it can't be, you know, the match can't be wet, whatever. So a lot of things have to happen for cancer to, to kind of kick off in us. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, and when it does, then, okay, you know, then we, we manage it. But it sounds like most of those kickoff events are, are environmental in some ways. Sure. Yeah. The things that we get exposed to in some cases, you know, it's, it's us, but um, you know, there are uh, for example, um, with breast cancer, you take BRCA, we know that there's a genetic predisposition. If you have right. these genes, there's a um, uh, 60, 80% chance that you're going to get breast cancer and probably 40, 60%. I'm a, I'm a little foggy in the numbers this morning. Like I said, it's those overnights in the ER are catching up to me, but yes, you'll get ovarian cancer. So, but yeah, a lot of it is environmental. You think about skin cancer and melanoma with sun exposures. I mm-hmm. uh, think about lung cancer um, with smoking exposures. You think about uh, gastric cancers with alcohol, you know, and then there are the whole viral thing. Um, you know, we think about the viral driven cancers. Um, you have uh, hepatocellular carcinoma, uh, cancer liver, uh, liver of the cancer that's driven by hepatitis. You know, mm-hmm. and then the really, truly miraculous um, thing that's happened in the last few decades, um, you know, cervical cancer can now be cured by vaccination, you know, wow. prevented. So where wow. cervical cancer was associated with what was called HPV or human papillomaviruses, right. uh, we can vaccinate with Gardasil against, not to plug their product, but um, we can vaccinate against getting the cancers that or getting the viruses that will cause the cancer. So we live in an age where we can literally prevent cancer with vaccination. Amazing. I didn't know that. That's yeah. wow. I'm glad I'm glad I had you on that we're sharing that information with people. Yeah. I had no idea. Good. Yeah, it's neat. The, the Cubans, I, I don't know how this is shaked out, uh, shaken out, but the Cubans are working on a vaccination against lung cancer. And I'm, I'm very foggy on that whole thing. I'm not 100% sure. I've, I've seen a little bit of it, but I haven't dug into the yes. literature yes. to know if that's a real thing or if it's just, you know, all hail the revolution. Right. You know, so Right. Okay, good. Now there are, and we have just a couple of minutes here. I don't want to uh, speed things up too much, but there are a number of different kinds of treatments you can get 
after with a cancer diagnosis. So I've heard of radiation, chemotherapy. What are the various different possibilities here when people do get diagnosed? Okay, so um, moving in order through time, first was cancer, uh, cancer surgeries, right? So surgery back from the day, I don't know if I, I can, there it is, let me do that. You see that guy back there? Yes. Right, that's the Edwin Smith papyrus. It's the oldest known medical document in the world. They found it in Egypt, you know, 20th century when they were all running around 18th century or the 19th century when they're running around grabbing everything out of Egypt. Uh, but it's a document from thousands of years BC that described cancer surgeries. Mm. You know, so mm. surgery is, was first. Mm -hmm. um, then Madame Curie did her thing and we realized that radiation had some therapeutic benefit. Um, I think there was an early case where somebody had a growth on their arm and they strapped a little radium to it and it made it go away. You know, and then that's now come forward to a very, you know, sophisticated um, radiation oncology, you know, mm -hmm. where we can shoot beams at uh, the tumors at really deep spots that we can't get to shrink them down or even remove them. Um, my mom's done that twice now with her, her lung cancer. She's had three bouts. Two of them are, have been radiation treated with radiation. Mm. And it's amazing. She says, if I wasn't in the room, I wouldn't have known it happened, you know, which is not something you hear for somebody who's treated cancer. Right. Um, and in 1940s, a guy named uh, Stanley Farber came along and he came up with this idea. He actually is an interesting guy. He wasn't an oncologist. He was a pediatric pathologist. Okay. And he came up with this idea. Kids with leukemia back then were they were doomed. So he said, ah, I have this idea. I'm going to give them this this chemical. Um, and the first round made the cancer go faster. And you figure that would be it. We're not doing that ever again because the kids died faster. But they, mm. they tried it again. It was a different time. And he figured it out. He's like, wait, no, flip it. I'm going to give a medicine called amphotericin. And he started saving kids. And you see the birth of chemotherapy. Mm. So that's the third wave in all of this. Um, and now we've got some very, very sophisticated drugs that are doing some amazing things. But we live in the future. And we now see this rise of immunotherapy where they're doing unbelievable things. You know, they have viruses that specifically go after melanoma. Uh, they can train your T cells, those parts of your immune system that they're supposed to go out and get rid of disease. They can train your T cells to go after the cancers called CAR T. Um, they're doing just amazing, amazing things. When I went through my undergraduate degree in biology, immunotherapy was interferon and that was about it. You know, that was, that was about what you had. Mm -hmm. um, but now, like I said, it, it really is amazing. They are customizing uh, the cancer care to specific people using their white blood cells to kill their specific tumor, which they train the thing to kill. And so, that's really, that's really a, a, a trend going on in medicine today is really per, literally personalized medicine, personalized to you. Yes. And that's what you're talking about. That's what we're talking about. So, and it, it really is, it's amazing. I mean, there are, there are thing if I, if I had people go away from this broadcast, uh, knowing anything is that there is an army of people in your corner. You do not fight alone. You have this incredible array of unbelievably dedicated guys and they're so smart, you know, um, just working on this day in and day out, you know, so you do not fight alone. Great. That's a good message. We're talking with Dr. Kerry Forrestal. That's F-O-R-R-E-S-T-A-L. He's written a wonderful book called Crushing Cancer, a patient's complete guide to managing a cancer diagnosis. We'll be back to talk more with Dr. Forrestal after these messages. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
Follow the Voice America Variety Channel on Twitter. Our hosts always have something to say, and we know that you do too. We tweet on today's hot topics, and you're welcome to follow us. Speak up and join in at Voice AM Variety. That's at Voice AM Variety. Listen for Go to Health Radio, featuring host Jonathan Marks and health experts from around the world who bring evidence-based education from Western, alternative, and holistic practices. We bring together you, seeking relevant and proven information for your healthcare needs and reputable healthcare experts and companies who offer quality education for your benefit. Monthly, we also share continuing education for medical professionals. Listen live every Wednesday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Variety. Follow the Voice America Variety channel on Twitter. Our hosts always have something to say, and we know that you do too. We tweet on today's hot topics, and you're welcome to follow us. Speak up and join in at Voice AM Variety. That's at Voice AM Variety. You are listening to Go to Health Radio. To reach Jonathan Marks or his guest expert on the live program, call in to 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. You may also send an email to Jonathan Marks at gotohealthmedia.com. Now, back to this week's show. Okay, welcome back. This is Jonathan Marks again with Go to Health, and we're so glad you're here. We're talking with Dr. Kerry Forrestall, who's written a book called Crushing Cancer, and it's all about managing a cancer diagnosis, and not the treatment itself, because your doctor will do that individually with you, but it's really about managing your life through the cancer treatment and diagnosis. And Dr. Forrestall, one thing I wanted to ask about I know there's a tremendous amount of pain uh, involved with a lot of different kinds of cancers. So how does pain get managed in cancer treatment along with treating the cancer? What's, how, how does pain get managed and how do people cope with that? Sure. So there, there can be pain associated. That's the thing that people fear is, is the pain that comes along with this. And it's variable. I, I think I had told you my mom went through it and didn't have any discomfort on her radiation therapies. Mm-hmm. Uh, chemotherapy can make you tremendously nauseous, um, and some of the surgical and, and you know the process itself could be you know could be very uncomfortable. Um, but there's a, what we call the pain ladder. You know, so we we talk about managing pain where we start with with simple stuff. Um, you know, just exercise and lifestyle and just things that that put you in a good frame of mind. Now that sounds a little touchy feely and, you know, I'm a scientist. So, but it is true that, you know, things like meditation and yoga, uh, all those things help a lot. Mm. Um, You know, a lot of people don't realize that we have not one, but two circulatory systems. You know, we have the circulatory system where your heart beats and goes round and round and if you catch yourself leaks out. Right. But there's also the lymphatic system and the lymphatic system, which is critical to our health is driven by our body's motion. Mm -hmm. That's the pump of it. So when you walk, you're actually driving the lymphatics It increases your health or improves your, your well-being, um, not to mention the mental effects. So we start with things that, you know, when people say pain management, they think about opioids, they think about narcotics, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. there's a whole lot of things that can be done that have nothing to do with medicine that will improve your general well-being. The healthier you are, the, you know, the better the outlook and like that, the better off you're going to do. So then when we start to come into actually medicinal things, 
Um, you know, we talk about the non-steroidal anti-inflammatory medications. These are things like Motrin, Aleve, Advil, and Tylenol, which is not a non-steroidal, but uh, Tylenol, which is um, a medication for pain and also brings down fever. Mm -hmm. And then we start to work our way up into the more substantial narcotic medications. You know, the first tier are things like uh, Tylenol with codeine, you know, Ultram. Tylenol with codeine, actually, you can get it over the counter in Ireland. It has a very low addiction potential. I think in Virginia, you could as well for a while. So it's very low addiction. That's the thing we worry about with opioids, right? We Hmm. just have come through that really horrifying thing with Purdue Pharma and the Sacklers. If you haven't seen Dopesick, go see Dopesick. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Oxycontin Express is another good one about the opioid epidemic. Mm-hmm. Um, and people worry about addiction, but um, in the right hands, you know, a, a responsible prescriber can manage your pain and the addiction potential can be very manageable. You know, you'll mm-hmm. have to taper off. You may have to do some things to get off. Some people will get addicted. Um, they were using the opioids. People are getting fearful of opioids. And I think they're, um, sure. that's not where we should be either. You know, we were giving it for back pain we were giving it for everything under the sun. And that was wholly wrong. That whole pain is a fifth vital sign thing. That was awful. Um, I was taught that in medical school hmm. and even the government was like, well, your reimbursement as a system is tied to managing people's pain. So give them the medicine. So the government even had a hand in all this, but mm-hmm. But with you working with a palliative care specialist, you know, uh, you manage the pain. You're unlikely to become addicted, but if you do, it's manageable, you know, as long as you're upfront and honest, which is sometimes difficult in addiction. So there's a whole, we could do a whole hour just on addiction. Um, But like I said, people shouldn't fear pain management, get through the cancer, get through it as comfortably as you can. And if there are these other problems, then okay, we will, we will manage them. So right, right. we work from the very simple stuff of meditation, yoga, exercise, stretching, physical therapy, all of those things, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory medications, Tylenol as well, aspirin as well, you know, those sorts of things, then on up into the low-grade narcotics and then on up to the heavier stuff like your Oxycontins, like your morphine. Morphine is, is pegged as the one on the scale going up and down um, and even on up to fentanyl and Dilaudid if need be, uh, in, in bad cases. And certainly mm-hmm. in, in paces where the, the patient has become terminal, well, that's a different story. You're not worried about addiction, be comfortable. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, there's often a blessing, even in the curses that we can experience. Um, and I've heard a lot about, I've never had cancer, but I've heard a lot about people, patients who do have cancer kind of go through a life reassessment. And you talk about, getting exercise and eating right, you know, that people actually start improving their lifestyle. Sure. Um, and can you speak a little bit about that reassessment of life that people go through that you've yeah, seen? So, you know, if, if when we're faced with our own mortality, however that happens to happen, you know, it changes your perspective on things. Mm-hmm. Um, you can have a health scare, you know, a minor health scare. Um, my wife just recently uh, got a high blood sugar reading uh, at a doctor's office, we're like, oh my gosh, is this diabetes? Ah, you know, because we're getting on now. We're in our fifties, and right. what actually was was she had been on on prednisone for a foot injury. She had a not an injury, but a neuroma, and it had driven her blood sugar off. But we both went like, okay, there's our warning shot across the bow. We need to do better with our diet. We need to start exercising more. After this, I'm going out bike riding. Oh, good um, for you. <laughs> you know, so, but um, cancer patients, you know, there's there's kind of a twofold thing. You know, the positive is that people can reassess their life. And, you know, they kind of go like, okay, I don't have forever. What is it that I haven't done that I want to do? Mm -hmm. What, you know, do I want to, you know, 
is this okay? How's how I'm living right now? Okay. And, and honestly, it's the motivation to do it. We should all do it, you know, do it today. Cause you think about it, we, you know, who was the philosopher said the problem is you think you have time, right? You know, it was Nietzsche or one of those really depressed German dudes. Right. So, <laughs> and, and, you know, we don't, you know, we have only a limited amount of time, you know, so today, you know, think about, are, are you happy with what you're doing? If you're not with, happy with what you're doing, why aren't you doing something else? Mm-hmm. You know, change is hard, but it really works out, you know, but there's also the element of it with cancer patients that the way it was described best to me was um, one person said, you're always looking over your shoulder. You know, when you get through the cancer diagnosis, be it a stage one breast cancer that, you know, lumpectomy and you're done um, or, you know, just you're, you're through it. They say there's that, that dread or you're always looking over your shoulder. And uh, one of the people who helped me with the book, uh, Karen Martin, she had uh, uterine cancer and that was 40 years ago now. I won't tell your age, Karen, I promise. Um, but in any case, uh, she says it just at some point it went away. You know, at some point it stopped being that thing that was following you. And there's no rhyme or reason to when that shuts off. Mm-hmm. But just at some point, you know, five years, we say that you're in a, we like to use the word cure, but you know, that's not really the word that we get to use. We use durable remission. Right. Um, and after five years, you're, you're supposedly in the clear, but people still are looking over their shoulder, you know, a little bit. And at some point that stops. But in the meantime, fill that, you know, with do those things that you always wanted to do. If you want to go see Paris, go see Paris, do it now. Cause like I said, tomorrow is not a guarantee. We all know that. And in my line of work, you know, you see life changes on a dime. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So really start, start living healthily now and doing what you need to do and being fulfilled. Now, yeah. one of the other ways that people can deal with cancer is through journaling. And I understand that you have a journaling website for cancer patients. Tell us about that. So it's called the warriorstance.com. And this, this came from, um, as best I can recall, this came from a patient who was undergoing multiple surgeries for cancers. And this guy was fearless. He was, he amazed me. He had a tattoo on his back um, that, remember the old operation guy? Yeah, from the children's yeah right, game? Right. So he had that and he had all of the surgeries that he had on this guy. Oh, wow. And all, you know, the year, it's like his medical history on his back. You know, and, and I think that's, he was the one who said, yeah, you got to get in the warrior stance, you know, and mm. that always stuck with me. So, you know, the warrior stance is, it, it, this is a fight. And as I said before, nobody fights alone. You know, you got the legions of Rome at your back, you know, but uh, it is a fight. And um, the cancer journaling site came about what we're trying to do is to capture the stories specific to different cancers. Like crushing cancer is a good general how-to book. It's, been described as the, you know, what to expect when you're expecting, but for cancer. Right. Right. We want to individual or specify the, like the cancer journey for breast is going to be different than the cancer journey for uh, prostate, for example, or lung. Those are the big three in the United States right now and colon mm-hmm. cancer and all the different cancers, you know, for people to be able to connect with people who've had their particular type of cancer. Right. So we're collecting the stories of these individuals and trying to turn them into specific books, you know, one for breast cancer, one for lung mm. cancer, one for prostate. Uh, and that's the idea. And this book that we wrote, Tran- Crushing Cancer, was to raise awareness for that project mm-hmm. uh, and to give people a how-to book to improve outcomes. You know, mm-hmm. so this is not just, I want you to feel good about what you're going through. This is, what do you do at 3 a.m. in the morning when you have a, a fever on chemotherapy? And how do you leverage your 401k to give yourself an interest-free loan so you don't go into debt? Right. You know, there's no book that does that. 
But anyway, we wrote that book to get these other books written, the cancer journaling. Got it. Okay. So, so when people do have, so do you get invited to come to warrior stance or do people just find you and they just start journaling there? Or is there, is there a guide to journaling? Are there resources you have there? There aren't prompts per se, other than, you know, just, just tell us about your day, mm-hmm. you know, really. And it's things like this that raise awareness of the cancer, um, of the cancer journaling site. Right. Uh, it's referenced in the book. Our local cancer center uh, actually gives it out on their paperwork. So they oh, say, would you like to be part of the cancer journaling community? Uh, you know, and, and they have that information. And we're trying to duplicate that now at cancer centers around uh, the United States. Wonderful. So, you know, we try to raise awareness with it, you know, and it's, it's not a forum. It's not a big place for discussion. It's not a Reddit or anything like that. It is literally like you have your personal journal online, you know, right. and then if you give us permission to use it, as part of the book, you know, we can anonymize it. We can not, um, you know, that's entirely up to you, but we use your story to help the others who have your problem. Got it. Great. And there are resources on the site that people can download. Tell us about that. Yeah. The, um, so in, uh, again, as I said, the, uh, crushing cancer is a how-to book. So we have, for example, checklists for what you need in your medical bug out bag. So if you do have a medical emergency, have it right by the door so that when you leave, you just pick it up and it's got everything that you need. Mm-hmm. Uh, medical kits for home checklists, financial checklists. Um, you know, we say for managing the finances of this thing that you should start from hour one, day one, you know, of how to deal with the financial impact of this disease. And we start that with a budget. You know, mm-hmm. what do you need in your, do you need four different pres- uh, subscriptions? You know, do you need Apple TV, Hulu, Netflix, and Amazon and Paramount and Joe's and all like that? Mm-hmm. So, those sorts of things from hour one, day one to get your finances under control. And there's a budget sheet for that. There's a checklist for things for the doctor. There's a checklist for things, how to get going. And I made them all free online. People can download them all they like. So right. they're in the book, um, you know, but they are downloadable. So, right. Right. Good. So we're talking about um, Dr. Forrestal's website called warrior stance. That's warriorstance.com. And uh, there you can download those check- helpful checklists that he was talking about. And those checklists and a lot of the resources are talked about in his book called Crushing Cancer, A Patient's Complete Guide to Managing a Cancer Diagnosis. So Dr. Forrestal, I know you've had some personal experience with cancer uh, in your family. Can you tell us about that and some of the motivations that, you, that that has brought to you to writing the book? Sure. Yeah. Cancer, unfortunately, runs very, very strongly in my family. Uh, I think I'd made mention mom's working on her um, third bout of lung cancer. Wow. So heavy smoker for many years um, and then finally stopped, uh, you know, and she did the thing that, that the cancer, the smokers always do is say, oh, I stopped smoking and I got cancer. Mm, okay. Yeah. That's not how that works, <laughs> but sure. So um, the first one, she had a partial lobectomy. They took part of her lung because they were suspicious that it might be the tumor. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that was rough. That was, you know, she had a chest tube in and, and she really had a rough go of it. You know, she's 86 now. So that was, uh, she was 76 at the time and healthy, mm-hmm. you know, healthy woman gardened every day, walked, ran on the ambulance for many years. Mm. Um, you know, but, uh, that, that was a rough go. This next two that she did were radiation and they were much easier. Uh, dad's had skin cancer. That's, you know, they just lop it off and, and you're done. Um, mm-hmm. My grandfather, a veteran of World War I, World War II in Korea, you know, he was born in 1900. So he was right in that zone where you can do that. 
um, you know, he died of bladder cancer that metastasized to his liver because there was really nothing, you know, 1970s, they really didn't have a whole lot to offer. They had some chemotherapy. It was non-operative. Right, you know, they right. didn't think radiation, they didn't have the radiation therapy that we have today that was packing things with radium pellets. I think I told you what they did with my grandmother's uterine mm -hmm. cancer. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, she survived both bouts of her uterine cancer. He did not survive his bout of bladder cancer. A mm. uh, brother-in-law with prostate cancer, obviously not genetically related, but still. Um, and then I have a cousin, unfortunately, who has brain tumor that mm. you know, we're, we're kind of worried it's not going to go very well. He's a pediatric ophthalmologist and just one of the most wonderful people you want to meet. Mm. So, you know, it runs very strongly in the family. You know, I don't know if my number is going to come up. I was never a smoker, but, you know, I, I certainly uh, have my own environmental exposures. Right. Wow, that's quite a that's quite a, a burden to carry, which is you know a lot of cancer in the family, and then you're also dealing with cancer, as you said, very frequently in the emergency room. Yeah, yeah, the people who just get diagnosed, and and, and that's a big reason why the book I really thought of this is the way to do that. When you say you may have cancer, that mm -hmm. that curtain comes down. That person is not taking any more information on you know, for whatever period of time, again, everybody's different. Right. And my brother-in-law who had the prostate cancer, he described it as, as all of a sudden you're in Charlie Brown. The guy's talking, but it's wah, 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 wah. He got <laughs> nothing of what they said to him. Karen Martin, uh, when she got her diagnosis of uterine cancer, again, the doctor who helped me uh, in writing this, um, she was, she got home and she's very Italian, very, you know, she's going to charge at this thing. And she started telling her husband, who's one of the most laid back guys on the planet, you know, this is what we're going to do. And he goes, that is nothing of what you just said is what the doctor said to you. Mm -hmm. There wasn't a bit that was right about that. So, so he was there and listening as, as an yeah. advisor. Yes. So you, yeah. you should, you, you should have somebody there listening, right? Cause you gotta have your wingman, you, right. you gotta have, you know, in my brother-in-law's case, my sister was there. Um, and you have to have somebody who can hear the information because you mm -hmm. can't when you get the diagnosis. Right. And that's what the book is about. So the book is when you're ready, open it and go. And it's a read what you need. It's not meant to be read cover to cover. Uh -huh. uh, you know, you're going to read the chapters that are important to you at that time. Right. You know, so it's, it's a read as you need. And um, it's because people, like I said, they get that diagnosis. And man, it's just all of a sudden you're offline for a day, a week. You know, and there's to some extent people go offline long enough that it, it, it hampers their care. It actually creates a worsened outcome. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we're talking with Dr. Kerry Forrestal. He's an emergency medicine physician. He's written a book called Crushing Cancer, a patient's complete guide to managing a cancer diagnosis. You can find it on Amazon. He's also got a website where cancer patients do chronicling, do journaling of their cancer journey. And it's really to help contribute if they wish to other books that Dr. Forrestal is writing about different kinds of cancer and patient experiences. And that website is warriorstance.com. You're listening to Jonathan Marks and Go to Health Radio and Go to Health Media. Stay with us. We'll be back with Dr. Forrestal in just a few minutes after these messages. We'll be right back.
Follow the Voice America Variety Channel on Twitter. Our hosts always have something to say, and we know that you do too. We tweet on today's hot topics, and you're welcome to follow us. Speak up and join in at Voice AM Variety. That's at Voice AM Variety. Listen for Go to Health Radio, featuring host Jonathan Marks and health experts from around the world who bring evidence-based education from Western, alternative, and holistic practices. We bring together you, seeking relevant and proven information for your healthcare needs and reputable healthcare experts and companies who offer quality education for your benefit. Monthly, we also share continuing education for medical professionals. Listen live every Wednesday at 12 noon Pacific time and 3 p.m. Eastern time on Voice America Variety. Follow the Voice America Variety channel on Twitter. Our hosts always have something to say, and we know that you do too. We tweet on today's hot topics, and you're welcome to follow us. Speak up and join in at Voice AM Variety. That's at Voice AM Variety. You are listening to Go to Health Radio. To reach Jonathan Marks or his guest expert on the live program, call in to 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. You may also send an email to Jonathan Marks at gotohealthmedia.com. Now, back to this week's show. Okay, this is Jonathan Marks at Go to Health Media. Welcome back. We're talking with Dr. Kerry Forrestal. He's an emergency physician. He's seen a lot of cancer in both his family and also the emergency room. And he's written a book called Crushing Cancer, A Patient's Complete Guide to Managing a Cancer Diagnosis. He's also got a cancer journaling site at warriorstance.com where patients can go and journal about their cancer and actually inform others about what it's like going through particular types of cancer that they may be experiencing. So Dr. Forrestal, let's talk about handling finances. I know that's a big part of your book what do people need to know about handling their finances during a cancer diagnosis and treatment? Sure. So this is one of the, the biggest topics. It's, a, it's the longest chapter in the book. Uh, and handling your finances actually will or can affect your outcome. So, and it makes sense. If you don't have the money to buy the medications, for example, that you need for whatever is going on, you're not going to get a good outcome if you can't afford the gas to get to the appointments, if you know, those sorts. So it, it has a direct effect. The way you manage your finances has a direct effect on your cancer care. So what we advocate in the book, again, in, in my background, I, I took a master of business administration from Binghamton university and tremendous program up there. But um, you know, one of the things we talk about in the book is from hour one, day one. So you start, this process, not when you start to get into trouble, but right from the second, they say, you have this diagnosis, you're going to call, you know, you have your first calls that you're going to make, you know, who's going to take care of the kid or the pets or whatever, while I'm doing this, you know, all those sorts of things. Then you need to start, sit down and think about your finances. Mm -hmm. Now, the conversation that you have, let's say you're renting a place and the conversation that you have, let's say six months into treatment, when you're behind on your rent, and the guy's like, look, I want my money or you got to get out. And you're looking at eviction. That is a different conversation that you're going to have. If on day one, you say to him, I have a fairly serious health burden here. I got to mm-hmm. have a problem. If you feel comfortable telling him that it's whatever type of cancer that would probably help. But if you don't feel comfortable doing it, you shouldn't be obliged to do it. And right. you say, I may get into some weeds here, you know, with what's going on, but I'll make it right. 
that's a different conversation than when you're trying to fight off the bill collectors. Mm -hmm. And you call everybody that you're going to owe money to, you know, the guy who, you know, the electric company, the water, you know, all of those people say, look, I've got this problem. You know, can, what programs do you have to help me? Right. There's a tremendous system that nobody knows about, right? Nobody knows about this and it's all over the United States. And I love these guys. It's the two one one system. So now what this is, is it's an informational system, right? That if you need, let's say help with your bills, you can call them. All right. Mm. Now they're not going to help you with the bills, but they're going to have the people who can help you with the bills. Mm. So my brief thing with them is I called them up and I said to them, let's say I was starting a cancer care thing and I needed help with my electric bill. You know, who could I call? And they, they localize it to my zip code. So they asked me for my zip code and they said, this guy, this guy, this guy can all help you. The, the Salvation Army can help you, but you got to do it at the beginning of the month because the money goes quick, mm-hmm. right? Now I'm in the emergency department, so I know each of those is accurate, mm-hmm. right? So they were right on the money. I said, okay, I'm a veteran. I say, okay, then you can do this, this, and this. And it works everywhere in the United States. So it's, it's an amazing service that nobody knows about, Wow. right? So you start day one, hour one, you know, Talk to the people that you're going to owe money to so that you get that latitude so you don't have to be sweating bills. Second, consolidate everything that you can. If you have some home equity, it's a lousy way to go about it. But you know, if you have a home equity and you can pull all those credit cards together and just get them out of your hair, mm-hmm. that's a good way to go about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so a consolidation loan, well, you know, it, it can be not great. You want to reduce the number of mouths that you're feeding. All right. And then, like I said, what don't you need? Uh, I think we had talked earlier and, and said, you know, do you need four or five different subscriptions, Hulu and Paramount and Amazon and Netflix and, you know, right. whatever else. There's some great stuff on there, but do you need all four right. and reduce the, the amount of um, uh, mouths that you're feeding? And, you know, the other thing is, especially if you have and kids. And when I mean, you say mouths that you're feeding, you don't mean get rid of your kids. You're just talking well, about. If they're, if they're behaving, okay, you can keep, it. Um, you know, <laughs> So, but yeah, no, the amount of bills that you have to pay off, you know, so, but, you know, talking about kids, you know, uh, you and I have lived a life. We know that we can, you know, we can do what we have to do to survive and probably wouldn't phase us a whole lot, you know, so, Mm -hmm. you know, we had to, you know, cut whatever corner, it was a corner that we're cutting, but if you have kids in your, in your life, you know, where they're taking ballet or they're taking something else, Mm -hmm. you know, to have to reduce that would, for me, it would kill me. You know, if I had to tell my, my daughter that, you know, you, you can't do this because, you know, right. Um, so, you know, reach out, you know, be creative, say, you know, hey, for, you know, birthday present, can you give the, the lessons for Christmas? Can we, you know, do those things to keep the kids going so their life is as normal as possible while you're going through this? Mm-hmm. So, you know, be creative about those things. You know, there are mm-hmm. um, people who want to help, you know, direct them, let them help you because, you know, none of us, none of us walk alone. Um, so there's those elements to it that, right from hour one, day one, you want to start managing the finances and the budget sheets there to help you. You can see where your money's coming in, where it's going. You know, if your workplace is supportive, there's a lot of things they can do there. We've had donations at the hospital when people have been sick of FMLA, that's Family Medical Leave Act, you know, where you can have time off that's protected and not lose your job. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there are a lot of things that you can do and we go over a lot of them in the book. Um, So, but that's the most important thing. I'm going to say the third time, Hour one, day one, start early. Got it. So if you're listening to the show and you don't have cancer yet, you're going to want to take down a note. It's called Crushing Cancer, the book. 
Um, and it's all about managing cancer, as the doctor says, from hour one, day one. So just keep that resource by your side. You may find a friend or somebody you know who gets cancer. You might want to give them the book or just keep it available for yourself. So Carrie, I wanted to talk about another topic, <clears throat> which is interpersonal relationships, which is you've just gotten a cancer diagnosis. It's a huge piece of news in your life. It's a huge burden or scary burden. Um, and so the question is, who do you tell? What do you tell them? Do you say anything? What's your advice about handling relationships? So, yeah, this is, this is again, a very, very personal decision. Um, my grandfather, when he had bladder cancer, pretty much told no one we had to figure it out. Well, my mm. parents had to figure it out. And mm. he didn't allow anybody to drive him back and forth mm. to cancer care when he got his chemotherapy infusion. So he drove himself. He's up in New York City in Bronx. And, you know, my grandmother's like, how did it go? Fine. You know, he's a stoic soldier. So, you know, he didn't let anybody know. So who are you is the, where that starts. You know, some people are going to put it on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and everything. So, oh my God, I've got this cancer. I need prayers, you know, and, and some people, that's how they process it. Other people want nobody to know, you know, they're just going to want a very few number of people. The more people that you tell, there is the element of it where you're going to have to emotionally interact with these people. So when you say somebody, I've got this cancer, they're going to be like, oh my God, you know, and now you, you're going to have that discussion. Right. Um, and it can be exhausting. Uh, Sue Fondi, Dr. Fondi, who's a Lieutenant Colonel or now actually a full Colonel um, in the army uh, had breast cancer. And she, when she told people, she kept her circle very tight. Mm -hmm. um, and when she told one of her family members, she ended up having to console her. Mm -hmm. So, you know, she's dealing with this issue with breast cancer and she's consoling this hysterical family member and it's exhausting. Right. So, right. you know, how do you feel about the information being out there? Who's in your network? You know, you're not going to go through it alone. So who's, who do you want in your circle? Um, and really for what reason, you know, there are people who are going to, you know, want to know what's going on so they can go have something to tell other people. Mm -hmm. You know, there, there's that group of people. And, and to some extent, that actually could be a useful person to have in your life. You know, if you don't want to tell everybody, but you want everybody to kind of have some idea of why you're right. acting weird, tell Aunt Edna, the town crier. She'll tell everybody, you know, she'll <laughs> shop your business and, and you don't have to do it. Um, you know, and the other thing with interpersonal relationships is it's, it's we are terrible in this country about talking to people who are sick. It gets very awkward and people say some truly moronic things. Mm -hmm. You know, it's um, uh, you've got cancer. Oh, good. You'll be able to lose some weight when, mm -hmm. you know, that's when that's come up. Mm -hmm. um, there's a whole section in the book of things people say that are just you just shake your head. And, you know, they're not trying to be malignant. It's just we don't know how to talk to people who are sick. We have, you know, it's, it's common. You know, one right. third of all Americans are going to get cancer. You know, mm -hmm. so these conversations, um, they're going to happen. Um, there's a book called The Etiquette of Illness, and it's brilliant about how they talk about, you know, how you talk to people who are sick. Mm -hmm. you know, and the best thing I can, the best advice I can give you is don't, don't gush, don't force, don't whatever. Listen, just, just listen to the person say, hey, listen, I'm thinking, you know, I'm thinking about you. If you need anything, what can I do? How are you doing? Right, right. That's and just be, being supportive. Yeah. Yeah. So like I said, it's, it's a very individualized thing. Some people are going to put it on blast. Some people are going to, you know, hold it close. So, and it's all okay. 
It's all okay. Yeah. There's yeah. a great, um, there, Leah guy does a great podcast and she did some stuff about toxic positivity, about how we want our cancer patients to be happy warriors. Mm-hmm. Now, and yeah, there are a lot of them who are like, yeah, man, this is giving me a new leaf on life. I'm going to beat this thing. And they're very tough, but we shouldn't oblige sick people to be happy warriors. You know, mm-hmm. you shouldn't feel the obligation to put on a happy, brave face, mm-hmm. you know? So it's, it's, you have to go through what you're going through, honestly. Um, and if, if you can't be around people, then it's okay. You, you know, you shouldn't be obliged to be around people if you're not there. I would think that there's a lot of anxiety about, do you tell your employer? Don't you tell your employer? What do you tell them? And, and, and give us, give us some advice about, you know, telling your employer, but also are there legal protections you can have? I'm sure everybody's afraid of losing their job just because they got a cancer diagnosis. Sure. Tell us about that. So again, it comes down to who do you work for? You know, if you have a toxic workplace and this is a good, you know, they're looking at, okay, well, you know, we're, we're going to have to let this guy go because he's not going to be able to hack it and all that. Yeah. If you work in that sort of environment, I, I probably wouldn't be very forthcoming, mm-hmm. you know, and even if your insurance is through your workplace, your boss has no right to know that you have cancer, mm-hmm. none. You know, like I said, even if they're paying for the insurance to treat it, they, they do not have access to your medical records. Mm-hmm. All right. That's HIPAA. That's the healthcare uh, confidentiality stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so your information is protected. But if you work in a workplace where they're like, yeah, let's all band together, then it's a really good idea to let them know again early on before you start missing work because the chemotherapy is making you feel lousy or you have your, right. you know, whatever happened, you become violently ill at work, you know, for a couple of days in a row or a couple of weeks in a row because you're doing chemo. And it's, it's really tragic that we, you know, we've had people, one of the people who works in our emergency department um, who passed, unfortunately, of colorectal cancer, mm-hmm. you know, had to keep working through the cancer because she needed the insurance. Mm-hmm. You know, we should have some way of perpetuating you know, people's insurance coverage when they become sick like this. Right Now, social security and disability, um, they do have, there's a, a, a blue book of cancers and stages and all like that, that are automatically qualify you for disability, but there's mm-hmm. a lot of cancer that doesn't. Mm. So, you know, it's, it's where you fall on that whole thing. You know, it's, it's an unfortunate thing that you have to be fairly sick to get that disability protection. Right. You know, so the sicker you are, the better off you are from that standpoint. Right. You know, so, it. which is absurd. You know, we should, if you have cancer, you should not have to worry about your insurances. You should automatically be in my mind, you know, eligible yeah. for Medicare, Medicaid, yep. you know, so that you, you can treat your cancer. It doesn't do me any good to have untreated cancer patients out there. Right. Um, you know, it doesn't do anybody any good. So, and then um, we'd also talked um, with workplace protections. Um, yeah. If, if you have qualified for disability, then you get all the protections of the disabilities act. So, but if you haven't, you don't, you know, mm-hmm. so wrongful termination, there's, there's a, it's a very complex network of, of right to work states and not right to work and all mm-hmm. like that. So, but to understand clearly um, what your workplace dynamics are, you know, are they looking to move you out the door? Or are they going to rally around you? Mm-hmm. Good. So we've been talking with Dr. Kerry Forrestal, MD. He's an emergency medicine physician. He's written a book called Crushing Cancer, A Patient's Complete Guide to Managing a Cancer Diagnosis. And as he's saying, this is a book that you can use from hour one, day one, about how do you treat a diagnosis of cancer. Now, again, the book does not go into medical treatment because that's between you and your doctor, but there's a whole life you're living. Cancer diagnosis is not a death sentence. 
Um, there's a lot of things that can be done to live productively with cancer and even go, have cancer go into remission. Correct, doctor? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And like I said, we live in the future. So more and more, the cure is the rule or durable remission. I got to use my science words. Got it. Right. But it's the rule. Uh, you know, so the cancer cure rates are getting better every day. Good. So again, if you get cancer, you've gotten a diagnosis. This is a book for day one, hour one, crushing cancer, a patient's complete guide to managing a cancer diagnosis. And Dr. Forrestal also has some very interesting downloads that can be of help to you. He discusses those in the book. And that's at his website called warriorstance.com. You can download those resources for free. It's under the resources tab. I've been there. And if you like, you can also journal about your cancer journey, and um, this can help you in terms of getting this kind of experience out, but can also help Dr. Forrestal and other future patients by having stories that cancer patients tell about particular types of diagnoses. So I want to thank you, doctor, for being on the show. I'm so glad you could come on today and share your knowledge and expertise with us. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Good. So this is Dr. Terry Forrestal. Again, his book is Crushing Cancer, A Patient's Complete Guide to Managing a Cancer Diagnosis. And this is Jonathan Marks with Go to Health Media. We will see you again next week. Thanks so much for being with us. And we look forward to having you again next week. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in this week to Go to Health Radio. Be sure to join Jonathan Marks and another health expert next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. You can also catch the program on your favorite podcast platform. Until our next show, be sure to visit us on the web at gotohealthmedia.com and elevate your life. <laughs>